0: Beloved congregation of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. We live in a world filled with variety. Variety in plant and animal life. Variety in landforms and climate. Shops and malls are filled with an endless array of man-made things. Man builds cities High-rise buildings, highways, airplanes, space shuttles, financial products, superannuation, investment funds, insurance, technological inventions, beautiful art, gardens, a healthcare system. A world of variety. It's a world in which we are busy. Busy earning a living. Busy finding our way in a complicated society. Busy coping with making the right choices when faced with such variety. It takes effort to keep on top of things. To do our daily work. To care for our children and our households. To do our work as office bearers on committees in the church. Our caring for the sick and needy. Our work in our community. And history moves forward at a rapid pace. Things are constantly changing. Think of the things that have changed, that have been developed in the last 50 years, or in the last 20 years. And there are continuous developments among the nations. Regimes rise and fall. In the past it was the Cold War that confronted us. Something probably more for the Older people, the younger generations have grown up. The younger generation has grown up without that. But then there's the threat of terrorism. Economic turmoil was added to that. The growing China. It seems overwhelming. And in the middle of all this, we hear those words from Genesis 1. In the beginning." Those three words put all things into perspective, our busy lives, this varied world, the history which is moving along in the beginning. God's words to us. And God has good reason to reveal this to us. Not so that we might simply have our curiosity satisfied, As far as that goes, there are many questions that this account of the beginning does not answer. But God is teaching us these things so that we might know him, so that we who live in the midst of this varied and changing and busy world might worship him as he has revealed himself. Therefore let us listen to God's word under this theme and points. The almighty creator of heaven and earth reveals to his people what happened in the beginning. We'll see three things. First of all, what God reveals. Secondly, why God reveals this. And thirdly, to whom God reveals this. So, the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth reveals to his people what happened in the beginning. First of all, what God reveals. And then, why God reveals this. And finally, to whom God reveals this. So, first of all, what. God reveals in the beginning God created and here we are confronted with an amazing truth about our God beloved and that's this that in the beginning he was already there this world this life history that all has a beginning and God was already there in fact, God was there before this, before the foundations of the world. He has been since all eternity, as the Bible teaches us in other places. That's something we can speak about, we can put into words, but we cannot fully understand. Children, children sometimes try to imagine how God was always there, and they get stuck Because we can only think in terms of time. But God exists without time. Time is His creation. He brought things into existence. And so there was a beginning, a beginning of this world, a beginning of time too. And before that, only God was there eternally. And that in itself is very comforting. Our lives today might be complicated and busy and sometimes we can feel as if it's hard to get a handle on everything. Life tends to to sweep us along. There is change all over the world. Political change, economic change, moral change too, particularly in our western world. Old values are replaced by new immoral ones. History seems to be spiraling downwards. And those simple words put everything into perspective. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Our lives, this world and everything in it, like a product in the hands of God. As you might put some tiny insects on your hand, and those tiny insects scurry this way and that in the, in the palm of your hand. So this world and everything in it, all the events and the circumstances with which history is filled, it's all taking place in God's hands. The very time that the wicked used to devise ever more wickedness, anti-Christian, anti-family laws and philosophies thinking, even that time is something that has been created by God. So, beloved, do you see something of the smallness of man when compared with the eternity of God? Isaiah speaks about this in chapter 40. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Measured heaven like a span? And calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? Weighed the mountains. And you know how big mountains are. Weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket, and are counted as the small dust on the scales. The Bible teaches us that from eternity, God has had a plan. And that plan included the creation of this world. And so God spoke, and heaven and earth came into existence. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, we are taught in Psalm 33. And more, God created them out of nothing. God did not take some pre-existent material and make that into heaven and earth. Rather, God created all things by His mighty word. And that's unfathomable. Before creation... There was no matter, no sand or rocks, no stuff. Only God was there. And then in almighty power, God called matter into existence. He called into existence the things that did not exist. See the awesome might of God. The first verse of the Bible makes clear that God is almighty. We must consider more closely what was created. The text says, God created the heavens and the earth. Some have said that this verse is a title for the rest of the chapter, a summary statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and in the rest of the chapter, we learn how that happened. But that's not correct. For verse 2 immediately begins telling us about the state of the earth that had just been created. Genesis 1 verse 1 is the act of initial creation as it took place at the beginning of the first day. In the beginning, God created the earth. And the earth that had been created was without form and void. It is that earth that is further divided in the following days of creation, first receiving light then separation of waters, then dry land and so on. Thus, what we read in Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning God created the earth is the creation of the initial substance, the matter from which then God further developed the earth. But what then is meant by heavens in verse 1? In the Bible the word heaven is used in two different ways. Sometimes it's used for the sky above, the place where the stars are, That's the visible part of the heavens. We can see the birds flying in the heavens. The stars are set in the heavens, the universe. But then heaven also has an invisible side, the dwelling place of God and the angels. The Lord, we read, rain down brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from out of the heavens. In Acts we read that Stephen saw the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Heaven as the dwelling place of God and the angels is normally invisible to humans, but not therefore any less real. We note that Genesis 1, after mentioning the creation of heaven and earth, Immediately concentrates on the further development of the earth. That development includes the creation of the firmament above the earth in verse 8, which is then called heaven. This is the sky. And throughout the Bible, those invisible heavens, the dwelling of God and the angels, those invisible heavens are presented to us as being up there in the sky. You think of the ascension, Jesus ascended up into heaven. We are not told that he went beyond the reaches of the universe. There is an invisible heaven up there. Notice that the Bible does not tell us much about the details of the creation of heaven. Most of Genesis 1 speaks about the earth. And only verse 1 speaks about the creation of heaven. We know from elsewhere in the Bible that God also created the angels. And that they were there when the foundations of the earth were laid. This makes it probable that the angels who live in heaven were created with God's dwelling place in this initial creation act in Genesis 1 verse 1. But God does not reveal the details. The point to note is that heaven and earth are all part of this one creation. God's dwelling The angels, the universe, the sky, this earth, everything in it, God created them all. The heavens above, the visible heavens and invisible, the earth below, all share one beginning as God brought his planned creation into being. Verse 2 then turns our attention to the earth that had been created says that the earth was without form and void. Some have said that this points to a chaos that characterized the beginning. But that's not what these words mean. Rather, that the earth was without form and void teaches us that after the initial creation, this earth was not yet a suitable place to live. The earth was unproductive and empty. Many things still needed to be done, Darkness covered the face of the deep. Light needed to be created to break up this darkness, to bring about day and night. There was no dry land yet. There was no atmosphere around the earth either. All these things needed to come into existence before the earth could be lived on. It was without form and void. It was uninhabitable. So verse 2 shows us that development was needed. That's what God would do in the following days. And in that all, God would reveal His wisdom. God began by creating an initial substance. And then would work to divide and organize and adorn. Everything would be given its place and task and function within the whole of God's creation. And the end result, a beautiful world, ready for man to live in and rule over. As we are taught in Isaiah 45, God did not create the world in vain. That means did not create the world to be without form, but God formed it to be inhabited. That's the goal towards which God was working already on the first day of creation. And then we are also told that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That shows us that it was the triune God who was involved in this work of creation. The Spirit was there too, watching over the newly formed matter. It shows us God's care and protection for His creation. The Spirit was like an eagle who hovers over its young as they are learning to fly. As soon as God had created, He was looking after and caring for what He had created. Such, beloved, is the revelation that comes to us in these first verses of the Bible. God Almighty has revealed to us what took place in the beginning. And He does that for good reason. And that brings us to our second point. Why God reveals this. Our text is part of God's self-revelation. This, God says, is, is who I am. That's the short answer to why God reveals this to us. He wants us to know who He is and what He has done. He wants us to see His power and might and wisdom and preservation and glory. And we also learn from the specifics of our text. These verses do two things. They guard us against the wrong way of thinking about the world in which we live. And secondly, they teach us the right way of thinking about this world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this shows us that there is a creator and a creation, which are two distinct entities. We ourselves, every part of our environment, our clothes, our homes, our properties, our cars, possessions, neighbourhood, the birds in the air, the moon and stars, they're all part of what God has created. A clear distinction. On the one hand, an almighty creator who has been there from all eternity, and on the other hand, a creation which in every respect is the work of the Creator's hands. That congregation immediately shows us what is wrong with materialism. and That needs to be explained. Materialism is a way of thinking very popular in our modern age. Materialism comes down to that people deny... The existence of God. The only things that exist are the things that can be observed, that can be seen or touched or felt. Materialist denies the spirit world, denies the existence of God. Now when we hear the word materialism, we normally think of the sin of making possessions your God. A materialist is someone who trusts in, who pursues his possessions. And that's indeed part of it. But at root, it's bigger. Materialism denies that there, the, denies that the God of the Bible exists. Materialism, this philosophical way of looking at the world, means that the universe is seen as a closed system. There's no God, no spirit world. It makes sense that if this is your view of the world then that you will probably focus on making yourself as rich as possible, of getting as much enjoyment as you can out of material things. After all, if this world is all that there is, you might as well enjoy it while you are here. And the theory of evolution is closely connected to this. Evolution says there is no God. And seeks to explain everything by natural causes. Survival of the fittest is how life develops to increasingly higher forms. People who think this way see science as the only way to come to know the truth. Science does not investigate God and other invisible things, but science can only investigate those things which can be seen or measured or experienced. And so only the results of science will be trusted. And that's the thinking and philosophy that you will often meet with at university. Our text, therefore, is very important to equip us so that we can develop our talents at university without being misled by the lies of evolutionary thinking. For our text teaches us how to think about the creation even as we do scientific experiments with God's creation. Let us remember that. Even those unbelieving scientists, when they're doing their experiments, they're experimenting with the creation of our God. That's reality. These first verses of the Bible they guard us against another danger too. That's a way of thinking called pantheism. That's the other extreme from materialism. In the way of thinking of pantheism, the existence of God is not denied. On the contrary, a pantheist says that everything is God. Then there is no more distinction between creator and creation, but all of creation is seen as God coming into existence. In history, this way of thinking has been common, pantheism, and often as a reaction to extreme materialism. For materialism cannot explain where the matter, the stuff, came from in the first place. And so the evolutionist has to believe in a Big Bang to explain the beginning of everything, but cannot explain what came before the Big Bang. And pantheism comes with some kind of solution to this problem. It says that the material world, matter, stuff, it's part of God who is eternal. Now it might not be common nowadays to... To blur the distinction between creation and creator and say that everything is God. However, we can note other trends within our world that go in that direction. The materialist view of the world has caused a lot of unhappiness. Great things, it's true, have been developed by science. But often people in our technologically advanced society are left feeling empty. And no wonder, for the modern perspective of the world is that there is no God. Materialism has no room for the spiritual. And here it is where there is a reaction nowadays. There is a renewed interest in spirituality. People find it more important to get in touch with the spiritual, with whatever or whoever is out there. They find that the materialistic worldview has deprived them of a spiritual sense and they go looking for spirituality and often into Eastern religions. And often this also involves going back to nature, go on a retreat to meditation, to meditate, to get in touch with the spiritual you are more likely, people say, to meet the spiritual out in nature. People become disillusioned with what modern technological man has made and find that God, with a small g, and spirituality are a lot closer in nature than in the midst of concrete and computers and high-rise buildings and highways in sprawling cities. And here too, congregation, with this kind of thinking, these verses keep us on guard. For Genesis 1, 1 makes clear, God and creation are distinct from each other. And so plants and trees and bubbling brooks are no more spiritual, no more closer to God than cities and high-rise buildings and concrete and computers. All are part of this creation formed and fashioned by God see, beloved, how these verses give us perspective. In whatever environment we are in, wherever we are, we are in God's creation. Be it in creation that has not been developed by man, natural bushland, or creation that has been developed by man, what some call the concrete jungle, the modern city. God reveals what happened at the beginning. So that we understand the world in which we live. For when we know God as He has revealed Himself in our text, then that will teach us how we are to live in this creation. Then we will not worship creation itself or any aspect of it, the many false gods of the past, or the modern gods of money and possessions, or science and technology or nature. For this verse tells us, That there is only one who is God Almighty. And everything else was created by him. And he has created all things for a purpose. He reveals to us that that he created. So that we might also wrestle with the question of why everything was created. And that question is answered throughout the Bible. God created the universe so that he might display and reveal his glory. Psalm 19 speaks about the heavens declaring the glory of God, the firmament proclaiming his handiwork. Many other psalms speak about creation giving glory to God. And man's task of ruling over creation, developing this Well, caring for creation, that too is to bring glory to God, Scripture tells us. You think congregation of Psalm 8. Psalm 8, which speaks in such beautiful words about man's rule over creation, and then exclaims, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. psalm that speaks about man's rule and care of creation ends up focusing in on God's glory, as that is seen in that. It's not as if God needed creation. The eternal triune God was not lacking in any way before creation. He was and is perfection. But God was pleased to express his wisdom and might and care and majesty by creating the universe. He created it for the proclamation of all his perfections. Cannot go into detail here. But what's important is that we see ourselves as creatures who are part of a creation that has been created to display God's glory. Man's part in that creation is very rich and amazing. That's the material of the last verses of this chapter where we read about God creating man in His image with the calling to rule, subdue, fill the earth. But the first thing that must be clear, the creature is here for the glory of God. Of the creator. Remember what we spoke about in the introduction. Our world is varied. And full of things. And often complicated and busy. And we sometimes feel as if we could get swept away by the sheer momentum of life. And Genesis 1 stops us in our tracks. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This puts focus... And perspective into our lives. Our family life. And houses. And work. And school. And retirement. And neighborhood. And government. And solar system. And everything else that makes up our environment. It's all part of God's creation. And he brought all things into existence. To reveal and proclaim his perfections. That is what you are doing here on this earth. You are part of this creation, created for God's glory. And so this knowledge will lead to us worshipping our triune God. And that brings us to consider in the last place, to whom God reveals what happened in the beginning. To whom does God reveal this? Not to the scientist or the astronomer does God reveal these things. A scientist uses his microscope to find out about the origin of this world. The astronomer, his telescope, to find the origin of the universe. But they look for that which cannot be found. They can only study processes in creation, both present and past. They cannot come to knowledge of the how of the beginning. That's a once-off happening of which there are there were no witnesses. The scientist and the astronomer will only come to true knowledge of the beginning if they first listen to God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God alone was there. And so he alone knows what took place and those to whom he is pleased to reveal it. And they are the ones who have these words of Genesis 1. Genesis is one of the five books of Moses. This revelation about the beginning was given by God to Israel through Moses. When Israel received this revelation, there had already been big changes in world history since those words of our text. Israel lived on the other side of the terrible fall into sin. And like the rest of mankind, they too had fallen into sin. But they were also God's covenant people, the people with whom God in mercy had made a new beginning. And in His mercy, God also preserved for them the true account of the beginning of the world. For since the fall into sin, man has been corrupting this revelation. The Babylonians congregation have their creation story. And similarities can be noted to Genesis 1. But that story is a corruption by sinful man of the original account of creation. That shows why it's so important that God preserve the true account of creation in his word else it would have been lost in the host of myths that man so easily makes up. And Because God preserved the truth among his people, we still have it today in our Bibles in black and white. Like Israel, we too live after the fall into sin. But we have more than Old Testament Israel. We live also after Christ coming into the world. We have learned even more about the beginning. We have not just the revelation of Genesis 1 verse 1, but also John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and all things were created through the Word. We have learned that not only the Father and the Spirit were created, were busy at the beginning, but also the Son. And more, we have also learned that all things, I'm thinking now of Colossians chapter 1, that all things were created for the Son. The Son of God is the purpose and goal of creation. He's been appointed to be heir of all things, He has been made Lord of all. He gathers all things together in submission to Himself. We have seen and know the terrible things that man has done with this creation perverting the wonderful things that God created, worshipping and serving the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. We know that because of the fall, we too are inclined to misuse this creation rather than to use it to God's glory. But we've been redeemed by the Son. We have been saved from sin and futility and by God's grace, made children of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And He restores us where? In the midst of creation, the creation of which He is the heir and Lord. He restores us so that we can once more live in and use this creation as it was intended to God's honor and glory. God has revealed to us what happened in the beginning. And so our lives are filled with comfort. In the midst of the busyness of life, in the midst of a developing and changing world, we know that all things have been created by God. Time itself is part of his creation. Far greater than any creature or combination of creatures is the one who created them all. Our lives are full of perspective too. We know that God carries out all things according to his eternal plan. The time that is ticking by. It's the time that he has created for the history of the universe to run its course. As his plan comes to completion. And knowing and understanding our place in this creation about which Genesis 1 verse 26 and following gives more details. Knowing and understanding our place in this creation, our lives become purpose-filled. We and our environment were created for God's glory. Therefore, worship God, congregation. Fulfill the task that God has given you in this world. Bring Him the glory for which purpose He created all things. And finally, this revelation about the beginning. Comes to God's people who have also been told about the end. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was initially formless and void, and God worked to make the earth a place to live in. But even at the end of the first week of creation, God's plan had not yet reached its pinnacle, for heaven remained invisible. That was not a consequence of sin. The division between heaven and earth was there before the fall. But that separation between heaven and earth was part of the initial stage of something that will eventually come to completion. And so we learn about the beginning as we look forward to the end when the purposes of the beginning will be fulfilled in a wonderful way. A new Jerusalem will come down from God to man and in that new Jerusalem congregation, heaven and earth will come together for there the dwelling of God will be with men. There we will fulfill our tasks as creatures in the most wonderful way. We will worship God in whose presence we will live forevermore. Amen.